And now, The Road. Welcome to the ropes. I am Rafe Bartholomew, just slaying a double-double In-N-Out burger, animal style. And I'm here with Brian Campbell from ESPN, and you know he's rocking the double denim Canadian tuxedo. You know why? Tell me why, Brian. Because that's how Joe Goosen gets down. That is how Goosen gets down. And what's Goosen doing this weekend? You know, he's going to be doing a little bit of action in the corner of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. making his comeback. You know, the Lanille champ at 173, taking his business down a pound, right, to 172. Should be interesting. It's working his way down pound by pound to 168 pounds, the super middleweight limit. But we got a great show, uh, including an interview with Joe Goosen about the fight and his career and his fashion sense a little closet. later on. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's amazing. If I could gloat for us, it's, it's amazing. Uh, well, don't, you know, let, let, it, let it breathe a little. Um, <laughs> so we also so we got Goosen on. Uh, we're going to talk about Mayweather Pacquiao, of course. Uh, and we're also going to preview probably the best weekend of, of fights we're going to see all year. I, I know it's premature to say that, but I also feel pretty confident in saying that. The fights this weekend are, are insane. Absolutely loaded schedule. If you like action, this is going to be the weekend. It's going to be, you know, get your DVRs ready. Maybe set up two TVs because it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I mean, I'm I'm fired up. I, what what a road that's going to take us to Mayweather Pacquiao. You know, 17 days away as it is, I I just wake up my, you know, I'm I'm just shaking. I'm I'm just I'm fired up. And then we got these little appetizers along the way. I mean, this is this is like Golden Corral. This is fantastic. Oh man, uh, yeah, we'll get into it. I mean, Provodnikov, Matisse, Chavez Jr., Fanfara. Uh, even Crawford Delorme, Delorme that's going to be an interesting fight. But we're going we're to talk about those at the end. First, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's media day. It's Manny Pacquiao media day right now uh, on Wednesday in L.A. Yes, last night was Floyd Mayweather's media day. Did you notice anything that sort of popped out to you in that uh, leading up to May 2nd? You know, just to echo a statement that we've said before on this podcast is, I mean, Floyd, is, we're just not seeing him play the villain role. We're not seeing him put on that hat and be the guy who, you know, Mr. 24-7, the guy who's going to step all over his opponent beforehand, you know, th- flaunt the money, all that. We're seeing such a respectful uh, version of him. I-, I saw there was an interview on ESPN.com that he did with Pedro Gomez in the ring there during the media day where mm-hmm. I've just really never seen him that complimentary of Manny, that respectful of what Manny brings to the table. It echoes to me of how serious he is taking this fight and how much of a challenge he he knows he has ahead of him. And, you know, it's refreshing to see in that regard, but we're we're also just not seeing that, that you know, the money may of old. What a couple of gentlemen these guys are. I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> really putting a great face on the sport. I'm so proud of boxing. Wow. What a, what I just, a man. I, I think I'm, I'm just going to go out and, and have a, you know, a tumbler of Cavassier and just feel good about myself. Well, you know what Tupac said, weekends were made for Michelob, right? And I mean, I'm ready for a for a duet of sometimes when oh, we touch. Every time, every, every time, man. Anyway, uh, I'll tell you the one thing that I noticed about last night's Mayweather uh, uh, media day, media day, media night, right? Um, the, th- the thing that stuck out to me was the part when Mayweather was being interviewed in a T-shirt that showed himself over sort of images of the of the Philippine flag, the three stars and the sun, sort of the the iconic image on the Philippine flag, and it, and it reminded me, it made me think that maybe Floyd is starting to do his sort of co-opt the other guy's nationality head games the same <laughs> way he, the same way we saw him you know march into the ring against Oscar De La Hoya rocking the sombrero with the mariachi band, uh, and it got me 
sort of hopeful that he might pull some some trickery on uh, for the fight walks on May second because see Manny also this week released his walk his walkout song the one he recorded the sort of very sort of over the top power ballad cornball la la banaco para sa filipino i will fight for the philippines it will probably double as his senate song when he runs next year uh but you know we know so floyd already knows what song man is going to walk out to what if floyd throws a curveball and and gets an even greater patriotic Filipino song, something like a classic, a Freddie Aguilar classic like Bayan Co or Bamboo's more contemporary Noipi. You know, one of these songs wow. that will just get in Manny's head like, whoa, he just, he just topped me at my own game. Uh, I think there's some, some gamesmanship opportunity there. I can't follow your vocabulary there with the Filipino classic uh, hits there, but uh, you know I'd be down for any of that. Uh, maybe that's the beginning of sort of seeing the heel element kind of drop into this. Of course, we saw we saw Floyd show up customarily late, which which got the ire of your guy <laughs> Freddie Roach. So that was you know maybe the only you know bad thing he dropped in here. But uh, yeah, there's so much potential for them to really come out with something huge for these ring walks. I hope they have something gigantic planned, and it's not going to be the the played out stuff of old. You know, leave your guy Beebs at home this time. Well, around. I don't know. You gotta you gotta do it like PBC on NBC, brother, you know, down, you know, show up, do a little lap around the platform, down the, down the wheelchair ramp. That's it. Slide down the wheelchair ramp with Ooh. the opera music playing in the background. You know, that, yep. that's what that's what the 18 to 34s love these Zimmer days. Zimmer style. Right? Um, well, all right. We don't want to get too much into the. We're going to pass on some of the some of the the, the gossip, the the everyday news about Mayweather Pacquiao this this week because we want to sort of go back in the archives and uh, and Gotta look get at back some, in time. No, <laughs> I don't even know that song, man. Um, <laughs> we're going to go back in the in the archives and uh, and each pick a fight from each guy from each fighter's sort of uh, resume that we think reveals something about this upcoming matchup. Uh, so, you know, Brian, why don't you just, you know, lay it on me, start us off. I will kick us off. We're going to start off in Floyd's catalog. We're going to go back to the famous fight, April 8th, 2006, Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas. 2006 feels so long ago, by the way, when you look this up and you, you just see the video of Floyd walking to the ring. But this is Floyd against Zab Judah. For you know, for sort of Zab's paper welterweight title after he had lost to uh, Carlos, Carlos Baldemir and Baldemir took the Lineal title, it was sort of that messy situation. But it was a step up at 47 for Floyd against the quick southpaw style of Judah, then still very much in his athletic prime, which in, in a lot of cases will mirror sort of what we're going to see Floyd face off against Pacquiao in this fight. I think this gives us that best representation of Floyd's whole career of how does Floyd deal with that quick softball coming at him. And I think there's a lot we could learn from this fight. I so think, do you ahead. think that, you know, if things start to go south in the second half of the fight for Manny, he'll start, you know, going for low blows, knocking Mayweather in the, in the nether regions, and then maybe take a swing at, at uh, Uncle Roger? <laughs> We can only hope for, but no, no. Seriously, obviously, the the uh, as much as we'd love to see some kind of mayhem like that, uh, the difference, obviously, in how the Mayweather Judah fight played out and how this potential fight on May second could play out is, I think, we just all understand and establish that Pacquiao is a, a higher grade fighter, of course, than Judah, and I don't think he's as 
you know, as destined to have that sort breakdown of emotional moment. breakdown. Yeah, that, that Zab would have each fight. But this fight, fight showed us a lot of things. First, it was one of the early instances of, of my favorite uh, reoccurring soundbite in the Roach-Pacquiao marriage, which is when Roach goes in the, between rounds and goes, he can't handle your speed, son. Oh, anytime I hear that, you know, I'm fired up and ready to get down. Obviously, the first four rounds is what stand out to you. Judah had more success in these first four rounds, winning at least three of them, to some people four of them, than you know, really anyone has had before Mayweather's patented adjustment kicked in. And I think if you're going to believe in the narrative that Floyd has trouble with southpaws, especially quick ones, which we sort of uh, teased that last week, this really this showed you that because Zab was able to beat him to the punch. Zab was able, you know, in the second round when he knocked Floyd, where Floyd had to put his gloves down to the canvas. Richard Steele missed that knockdown call, but that's really the only real knockdown of Floyd's career. He also rocked Floyd as well in the fourth round. It showed you what can happen. How do you get to Floyd? You know, it, mm-hmm. that maybe this, the quick southpaw has that type of road to get in because there's that old adage, Rafe, in basketball where teams that press hate to be pressed, right? Well, Floyd has tremendous hand speed, and I think guys that are so used to having such an advantage in hand speed don't know what to do when they encounter somebody who has at least equal to level hand speed. I think a great example of that was the struggles Gary Russell had against Vasyl Lomachenko. No, no question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's for sure. We see, I mean, Judah was one of the fighters who, who gave Floyd the most trouble, especially early on in that fight. He's quick. He had he, He's lefty. There's, he looks a little bit like Manny in those regards. Manny's a lot different in a lot of other ways. You know, I mean, it's Well, here's to, what he did. Yeah. Here's what I did from watching the video over again. He varied his attack. It wasn't just straight up, you know, left hands over the top. He really worked hard on going to the body early. And I think his quick left hand slings across the middle to, to Floyd's body, it, Floyd wasn't able to catch up with that. And it also mm-hmm began to you know get him to lower his hands a bit. I thought Floyd counteracted that nicely by starting to mix in the lead right hands, which is eventually the tactic that helped him make that mid-fight adjustment. But there was something else that Judah did really good that I think is something that Pacquiao could have a lot of success at, is when he landed his two biggest punches of the fight, he threw out two jabs before coming across the middle with those overhand lefts. And it was almost like these two jabs were just, you know... Half-hearted jabs that were enough that were maybe to blind. You're saying he put a, he put some flies on the windshield before he <laughs> threw the he threw the front the straight. <laughs> To channel your inner Teddy Atlas. Yeah, and it was a lot, of course, it was the same way that George Foreman set up that big punch against Michael Moore. And when I watched other instances in Floyd's career when Southpaws had the kind of success, it was exactly what Victor Ortiz did at the end of that fourth round before his own mental breakdown when he cornered and got to Floyd twice. I think that's going to be a big key to, for Manny. We know that, you know, it took him a while to even develop that right hand. That, that sort of, that's sort of what he does anyway. Come rushing in, float those two jabs at you, and come over the top of the left mm-hmm. hand. That's going to be something that Floyd, that Floyd is really going to have to make a key adjustment on. Not just the speed, but the fact that Manny does it from those awkward angles, which is a big thing that we're talking about. No doubt. And I mean, on some hand, we also expect Floyd Mayweather to be looking to time that left uh, the way that, you know, Marquez did very successfully in that one time when he knocked Manny out. Um, and, no doubt. Uh, it'll be, we'll see who, we'll see who gets there first. And one um, final point, one other thing that Judah did well in that fight was after, whenever, when Floyd started to shut down the little things that he was doing, he would, would throw out one jab half-heartedly, mm-hmm. wait for Floyd to counter, like Floyd is known for with that right-hand counter, mm-hmm. and then come over the top over of the, the left hand. And it was almost like he was countering the counterpuncher. And while Manny doesn't normally do that, that was a, st- a tactic that he attempted in the third Marquez fight. You right. know, remember when he went down on the rounds early? It was sort of a, a lot of people don't talk about it now, but they came out with a strategy of we're going to counterpunch the counterpuncher. So in that situation, it failed for Pacquiao, but that was an area where Judah did have his success, throwing out as bait that 
jab, waiting for Floyd to reach and then catching him coming in. It was very interesting to see the success he had. He was not unable to sustain it, as we talked about. All right. Let me throw a simpler example at you. Uh, Floyd Mayweather, Juan Manuel Marquez. Was this 2011 after when when Floyd came back from his uh, quote-unquote retirement? We'll say it was. Uh, so really, it's and, and I'm not picking this one for the reasons a lot of people might expect. Marquez, Marquez was, a, was a common opponent between Manny and Mayweather. Uh, obviously, Marquez gave Manny the, the toughest fights of his career and knocked him out in their most recent fight. Uh, but that's not really what it's about for me. Uh, it's It was really seeing how Mayweather uh, manhandled a smaller man uh, and, and the way that... that as anything Marquez tried just fell short. He, he couldn't close the distance. He couldn't get anything going. And, of course, we've seen that Marquez really struggles against other counterpunchers. He needs someone to initiate. He, he, do, he doesn't really start his own offense that well. And it hurt him also, obviously, when he lost to Tim Bradley, uh, going back with Freddie Norwood too, right? Um, no doubt. But it's still a part – and Manny is such a different kind of uh, offensive fighter than Marquez is. He, he – is very good at starting his own offense and then fighting and, and then winning exchanges uh, and just being relentless. But a part of me still worries that that height disadvantage, the fact that he isn't going to be able to muscle and crowd Floyd the way uh, Maidana did in last year in their two fights and I think bothered Mayweather. M- Manny, I don't, one, I don't think he's that type of fighter. Two, he's just not big enough and going to be strong enough to, to, hold, to pin Mayweather like that. Uh, I can see Mayweather just what Maidana did. Is what you're saying? No, definitely not. Uh, And and I could see Mayweather just using his height, getting you know, sort of using his height, controlling the distance, and making it really hard for Manny to to get his offense going, and and then controlling the fight. Well, if you believe Floyd's going to win, that size advantage has to be part of sort of your thought process because I mean, he's going to have a five-inch reach advantage. And I think a big key or secret to Floyd's success against welterweights when we assume that Floyd is the smaller man is that he kind of has freakishly long arms. He typically, typically has the reach advantage even against larger opponents. This is going to be much more you know amplified this time around when he's actually facing a smaller guy. I think that's an interesting point in what you're saying. I also think it's interesting how against in this Marquez-Mayweather fight, you know, two counter punchers, one of them had to end up taking the lead, and it was Marquez, and that played right into Floyd's hand. We've never really ever seen anyone try to stink Floyd out, try to be the counter puncher against the counter punching Floyd for a long period of time. Do you think there's any part of Manny that could, could consider that as a strategy in this? I don't, not with Freddie Roach in his corner. Not though, I mean, I think that would be insane, right? I mean, to, to come into the biggest fight of your career fighting a totally different fight than you fought for the rest of your career. I mean is that isn't that what a, a lot of people think uh was was partially the doom of uh of uh of you know of Hagler against Sugar Ray Leonard. Absolutely. I mean he came out trying to box Leonard trying to prove something and uh and that that almost, how often does that work? I, I I don't see Manny doing that. Manny is Manny. He's he's going to be himself and if he if he loses trying that, if he gets knocked out trying that, he's still going to fight that way. I think you're right, and that's a great Hagler reference on there. You gotta, you gotta, you know, dance with who, who brung you, right? Isn't that how it goes? <laughs> well, moving on to uh, my second Manny fight that we can sort of pull here. I'm gonna take the second matchup against Juan Manuel Marquez, March 5th, 2008, in Mandalay Bay in Vegas. A classic fight. I, Look, I love that. That's my favorite fight of the of the quadrilogy or whatever you call <laughs> their four fights. Uh, it's I know I mean and, and I, I the, the the final fight. 
I understand why that may be the best and the most historic. But, oh, my God, both guys just, I think, in their kind of purest forms, if you could say that. And I don't mean to throw the the, the normal uh, allegations about how they gained weight over the years. But I just mean, like, at their quickest, fastest, throwing insane flurries of punches and exchanges, uh, it, it was just beautiful and brutal. and, 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 God, it was a great fight. Yeah, it's the absolute peak of who they were as lower weight class guys before the rise. Look, I'm an unabashed lover of the fourth fight in their rivalry. It's my favorite of of their quadrilogy. <laughs> quadrilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Foods that start with the letter Q. I, it's it's my favorite of that. But uh, <laughs> Victoriano Huerta, uh, absolutely my favorite of that. But I don't begrudge anybody who says the second one because it was, you know, it, it really was like you said, the peak of their powers against each other. In this, the reason why I picked this was is because you know if you look at you can look at Manny's resume and not really see anybody that resembles Floyd, and mm-hmm. that you know that could really help you if you're a believer that Floyd is just going to be too skilled, just just a different animal for even Pacquiao to handle. But I think this may have been the best example because although Marquez is a different kind of counterpuncher than Floyd, this was when he was still at the peak of himself in the lower weight classes when his speed was mm-hmm. much more a part of his game. I mean, his counterpunching has always been about timing, of course, but he definitely maintained enough speed to give Manny trouble back at this point. Before before he really amped up his frame, moved up to lightweight, you know, then went a higher and really put on the muscle after that. There were some things that we learned about this. I mean, this was back when Manny w- was really coming into his own as a polished fighter under Freddie Roach. You know, you had seen that in the second Morales fight where he really started to use his right hand more for the first time, where it wasn't just this floating jab to wave in people's face to set up the left hand. This was a graduation of all the things he had learned, but it still was Manny getting reckless, you know, and I think that's those were the moments where, Mose, where Mark has caught him e- the easiest, mm-hmm. you know, because the same thing we saw in their fourth fight when it seems like Marquez is the only guy that can really pull Manny off his game plan, you know, and really tag him, get him to bounce his gloves together and then get him to be the not the fighter that he wanted to be, you know, to be completely reckless. Things that Marquez did that were interesting in this fight to have a lot of success are is that he also used his jab at times to just float it out there as bait. Mm-hmm. And then as Manny would come forward, Marquez would sort of swivel his body to the left and consistently land hard right hands over the middle. And he hurt him in the first round with that, which was a surprise to a lot of people. He hurt him late with the same tactic again. It was really interesting to see that. And, you know, we know Floyd is a master at sort of swiveling his upper body. He doesn't use his legs as much these days, but he's a master at, at getting out of the way of punches. I think that can be an avenue where he can have a lot of success at him. Marquez was also did a did a great job at sort of uh, disguising jabs to the body and then pulling the left hand back and coming right hand, right over the top with hard right hands. I think that's a fight where Floyd can sort of study the Marquez playbook the best to sort of find the his avenues to success because this was the fight where Marquez was most like the Floyd we're going to see today. That's great. I mean, and if if uh, if the May second fight between Manny and Floyd brings out that insane over-the-head left that, that Manny landed in round 10 of, of against Marquez oh, in the second yeah. fight. If we see that punch ever again and it happens in this one, I will just, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll thank God and die happy right there. Uh, I, I, that's one of my favorite crazy punches. Uh, <laughs> not my lucky punch or my crazy punch. Just a regular punch. No. Uh, Do you like it more than the double punch you used against Claudia? Didn't he throw oh, a punch with both just, hands? Just taking the words out of my mouth. Oh, Be- because, man. look. Uh, uh, Robin yeah. the Cradle. My Manny fight uh, was actually Manny Clotty, and, and not because it really reveals a whole lot about what, how, uh, some aspect of, uh, of Mayweather and Manny and what's going to happen on May 2nd. This is a little bit of a cheat for me. Uh, I just think it's one of the fights where Clotty's inactivity made uh, not 
only all the fans and the sort of the the viewers and the broadcasters frustrated. It made Manny frustrated. You could no tell, doubt. and that was sort of the the. Uh, the the impetus for the double punch right which is known in the philippines as the pompyong punch the 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 symbols it's like they thought he was clapping the symbols on his head uh, <laughs> but um it, it got so crazy that you know lampley jim lampley calling the fight for hbo just had to to gin up some some excitement and he gave us his famous bang 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 clip which we're actually going to play, play for you it, right play now it. bang 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 Sometime, bang! This is the Manny Pacquiao who has dominated boxing for the past three years. But I wanted to bring up this uh, fight, Manny against Joshua Clotty, uh, because of the sort of idea of frustration and what frustrates Manny and the way that, that Floyd Mayweather over the years, we've seen him befuddle and frustrate and sort of take the fight out of guys, even that when he's not beating them up that bad or not doesn't appear to be beating them up that bad you think about canelo and robert guerrero and how midway through those fights they had almost just given up on themselves and and the question of could that happen to manny against mayweather um you know i don't think so because what frustrated manny against claudi was the inactivity that claudi just wasn't it almost he was just surviving you know turtling up taking the shots and not punching back manny is one of those guys he's he's, he's you know a born fighter he he wants to mix it up uh for better and worse uh and even though Floyd is this defensive genius, you know he he gets his act, he gets his work in, and he's so accurate, and nothing sort of pops Manny Manny into into attention like getting a clean sh- taking a clean shot. Uh, you know that's that's like you just described. Like he bangs his gloves together, shakes his head, and then just sort of like charges in to 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 get it back. And maybe that means he'll get a little reckless, but I think it'll make the fight really exciting. He's not gonna let he's not gonna go out. Uh, you know, the way that other fighters who've given up against Floyd have. I think he's going to be in there and make Floyd beat him every round. And uh, right. if he does, then, then you know, hats off to Floyd. He's, you know, the best right now, if not TBE, the best ever. I think that's that fact alone gives you reason to believe that this could be a fun fight because, as Teddy Atlas would say, a lot of the Floyd opponents has, have signed that silent contract. They got to a point where they're so frustrated, they've eaten so many clean right hands in a short period of time, where it starts to go in the back of their mind, am I going to get stopped if I keep trying to win? I thought that's what pulled Oscar back. I think that's clearly what pulled you know Guerrero and Canelo back mm-hmm. from really just going for it. We know Manny's a different type of fighter. He's not going to do that. He's going to keep trying to find avenues to get there but what's really going to be interesting is if floyd figures him out faster than than the people like me who are picking pacquiao think he will can manny be awkward and different enough to completely you know consistently mix it up to keep showing him different looks does what are his second and third adjustments are going to look like that's the real you know inside baseball chess piece of this fight that i'm really interested to see how it plays can out manny and freddie roach adjust well, well speaking of uh of once touted fighters who who were supposed to be in the mix with the these pound for pound elites, you know, who might one day get a chance to fight the winner of of Manny Pacquiao and Floyd Mayweather, uh, you know, our boy DSG Danny Garcia, we we got to speak to his father Angel before last weekend's fight, uh, which he won by uh, by what was it split decision, majority majority decision over Lamont Peterson, um, but. Wasn't that convincing of a win? And uh, you wanted to sort of give him the business with a quick rant. Giving you the business. Look, here's the thing. This is now two out of three fights 
You know, going back to Danny's uh, close win over Mauricio Herrera, very controversial the last spring, where you could make a hard case that Danny Garcia lost this fight. And this is why I hate the kind of years in 2014 that a lot of the Heyman fighters had. And now, you know, you can justify it if you're looking at it from the standpoint of it was certain chess piece moves to set up this PBC launch and all that. But it was a lot of lateral steps or step backwards for a lot of fighters because when you take a year off where you're not advancing yourself, where in Garcia's case he took a, a get not a get well, but a homecoming showcase fight against Herrera that went almost went wrong, and then he follows it up with the ultimate get well fight against Salka, then takes the <laughs> long layoff and then goes in there against a tough guy in Peter. And a guy who we thought we, you know, all the experts thought he was going to beat, of course, but to come in there and then really, you know, eke out a decision that looked even like if garbage. You, he looked like he hot looked garbage. Like, he, he, he like he he the, the rounds he won, he won because Peterson gave away by by not doing anything to win. He looked bad even in winning those rounds because Peterson, you know, had him missing everything. Like the idea that that. Danny Garcia would move on to flight, fight Floyd Mayweather someday is insane. Like, if you can't catch up with Lamont Peterson, how are you ever going to give give Floyd Mayweather trouble? Look, both, Lamont Peterson fought two fights in this fight. He fought the the you know moving, running boxer in the first six rounds where people were you know uh, taking credit away from Peterson, saying he ran, weren't giving him credit for the rounds. I gave him all four of the first four rounds wow. because I thought he was making Garcia look foolish. I, I understand that he didn't I do enough. I kind of mixed it up a little bit, you know, maybe half and half. Like the ones where he did some work, I, I, I would give him to Peterson. Ones where he he just wasn't doing anything, even though Danny looked bad. It was sort of hard to they were they were un, not easy rounds to judge. Absolutely. So I don't have a problem with anybody who added a draw or had it for Garcia because Peterson honestly didn't do enough in the first half to, to, to stamp it. But what he did do is expose Danny's problem with, with boxers, with movers, because Peterson was really making him look bad in those early rounds. And then when he switched to become the puncher, I think he surprised all of us. And the fact that he was taking some clean shots from Danny and he was just kept coming forward. He wore Danny out mentally. He wore him out physically. Danny's right eye puffing up. That was very con- concerning from the Garcia side. So now you have a year that was almost a throw away year in 2014 you come out in this fight with all the negativity that's attached to the catchweight situation and then you get another win that people think you don't deserve and now you're announcing you're going up to 47 with a lot bigger you know tougher customers there garcia said after the fight he thinks he needs like two fights to get ready used to the weight class so if you think somebody's gonna get used to a weight class you're probably looking at more showcasing efforts to sort of stretch it out match them carefully suddenly you look back Fall of 2013 surprises everybody in the way that he handles uh, Lucas Matisse. Suddenly, Danny's getting pound for pound consideration on a lot of people's top tens. He's, you know, anybody that who was so slow to come around on him like me have to give him the respect. What has he done since then? How did they build on that? Outside of building his his actual brand, meaning putting out the DSG hats, he's got an app. Outside hmm. of that kind of stuff, they didn't do much to further him. Also promoting his twin sister's singing career. Don't forget. <laughs> I mean, I, I loved the you know the coast to coast documentary show that showed you know behind the scenes of his life. I thought that was all great, but in the ring, he's not taking steps forward. I think he's going to have trouble at 47 against the very elite, based on the the last two fights you know of note that we've seen of him. And I think this goes back to my bigger point. You know, I, I hate when fighters do this, when, when they sort of follow this model of let's slow down after taking a bunch of tough fights. Maybe you have one fight. Maybe you have a homecoming showcase. Maybe a get well. Maybe whatever you want to do. But when you have a long stretch, when you give away a year, it only stunts your growth. And now I think Danny Garcia goes from being on the verge of stardom to now being a huge question mark moving forward. Great job, Danny Garcia. You just got the business. I mean, come on. I mean, it, it's it's tough to say, but... There was one other thing that came out of uh, my appearance at ringside at Brooklyn for this PBC Oh, that's card. right. You were there. You know, I did ran, run into a little celebrity action when I was there. His Got name? a little picture. I don't know if people saw it on social media. 
the you know the, the author and founder of our hashtag dang list for our Instagram love TV Johnny Johnny Dang himself. Rafe, what's I got the, to meet what's this the legend guy. like? I've never met him. All right, first of all, I, I come I come through the tunnel to go find my seat. I see a guy with a crowd all around him. People are taking pictures, and I'm like. Dang, that's dang, isn't it? This guy's dra- draped in so much ice, it's just ridiculous. The teeth all up with, with the grills on it. I mean, it's just fantastic. Wasn't, you know, really blown away when I introduced myself a- as a boxing writer. He could, you know, I could have said I was, you know, the accountant at my dad's business. He was just like, yeah, but he was nice enough. We took a picture. All it, that means was, when you tell him that is you can't afford his grills. So, like, I you think know, that, don't you know, care. if I, I'm not a celebrity in the grill market, so I was just another dude, but he was, he was gracious enough to take a picture. He had some front row status there, you know. It, Sitting well, he's by and Team DSG. His, I mean, Team DSG for life. I mean, he's an executive VP of Team GSG with the, with the front row service there. But uh, amazing to, to to finally meet him there after, after how much we talked about him. He did not fail to impress in person. I'll give you that. Excellent. Well, now we're gonna take a break. Go to this interview with Joe Goosen, the trainer of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who's fighting this weekend. Uh, it we we talked to him last week, so it was right before they left uh, training camp up in Lake Tahoe and moved down to down to Southern. California, where this weekend's fight is going to be. Uh, Chavez Jr. is fighting Andres or Andy Fanfara from Chicago, the Polish fighter. Uh, Goosen told us about that. We can settle on Andrew or Andre for that. Well, Are we pick Andrew, his- Andy, Fanfara, if you want to do the Midwestern. <laughs> uh, anyway, we talked to Goosen, and we'll be right back with that. And now we are pleased to welcome to the Ropes Podcast one of the best trainers in boxing, a guy who knows a lot about fights, maybe even a little bit more about fashion. He's with us, and we're glad to have him. Joe Goosen, who will be in the corner of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Saturday, April 18th at the StubHub Center in Carson, California, against Andrew Fonfara. Joe, welcome to the Ropes. Thank you very much. I, I take it this is Brian, right? You got that right. Brian Campbell along with Ray Bartholomew. How you, how you doing, Brian? I knew it had to be you since you referenced my uh, my outfits. Oh, come on. Hashtag I, denim. It's fantastic, speaking, Joe. You know, This is Rafe speaking, and I am an equal fan, uh, maybe even bigger <laughs> fan, of, of the sartorial stylings that, that you've shown over the years, Joe. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, Rafe. But... Uh, <laughs> You know, we wanted to start before we get into the the juicy fashion details. Uh, we wanted to talk about the fight uh, you've got coming up, training Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, and yeah. this is the first uh, fight you, you're going to be training Chavez Jr. Um, how did that relationship come about? And uh, were you, you know, obviously he's gone through a, a number of trainers before he got to you, and there have been stories about his dedication in training camp. You know, were you, did you have any concerns uh, going into that relationship with him? Well, that was a mouthful, but uh, yeah, listen, uh, there's a few questions rolling to that. Number one, how he actually got to me, I'm not entirely sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that on many occasions, you know, I would be asked by bloggers and other guys that uh, were, would give me certain questions. Like if you had somebody to train out there that you're not training, who would it be? And of course, nine out of 10 times, I said, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., um, for various reasons, uh, but how they—I don't know if they—they they picked up on that or something else. I know I know Julio Senior was was very instrumental in it, and I, I have a past relationship with uh, Julio. And uh, you know, I did go up against uh, with Diego Corrales against Julio's protege of many years, Jose Luis Castillo. Mm-hmm. So I think he kind of liked—I uh, think he kind of liked what he saw at me in the corner, and maybe he thought I, I could be a. Uh, 
a little bit of an inspiration to his son uh, in the gym and in the corner. So, you know, I'm not quite exactly sure how that came about, but we're here now. Of course. So um, how has it gone so far? Uh, you know, we've, we've I think the, the, the images of, uh, you know, Julio Jr. eating cereal in his underwear from 24-7 are sort of stuck in a lot of boxing fans' minds. Uh, but how's the camp going I, for you? I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I'm very happy with how it's going right now. And for for all intents and purposes, from because I was not privy to his other, you know, training camps leading up to this particular one, and from the, the, the guys that kind of surround uh, Julio and have for years, um, some longtime, you know, associates, mm-hmm. they, they all feel that, you know, I've, uh, you know, I and the rest of the team have squeezed out a pretty damn good camp here. And uh, I'm, I'm quite satisfied with that. And, uh, you know, look, number one, Julio made the commitment to leave Los Angeles, the comforts of, you know, your home and, and family and come up here to Lake Tahoe. We're, we're pretty much isolated up here. It's, uh, you know, close to 7,000 feet altitude. He's been very dedicated, very hardworking. And, uh, so if, if there were a lot of, you know, misgivings about his training in the past, um, I, I think we've put a lot of that to rest in this camp here. So I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, very satisfied. And I, and I really like the kid and he's, he's a hell of an athlete. I got to tell you, I found out quite a few things about him up here. And, um, you know, actually, we're we're breaking camp today and leaving for Los Angeles this evening because we have a press conference or I should say an open press workout Friday. Mm. Um, So we're we're wrapping up the last week in Los Angeles. But, you know, we've been on the road now for close to six weeks. So, you know, that's that shows me the signs of dedication and, uh, you know, willingness to work hard to uh to be successful and victorious in this fight so i i i, I couldn't be happier based on some of the uh the, the previous you know camps that you know you you had just mentioned mm-hmm. joe when you looked at chavez as a blank canvas what was the the main thing that you hoped to change or sort of meld into what you bring to the table for what chavez can do yeah you know when you know, when you're kind of a Johnny come lately, you, you, you know, you've got to, you've got to be careful how you approach things, you know, because, uh, you know, a lot of veteran fighters and Julio is a veteran fighter, close to 50 fights, you know, he's developed his own style and, you know, to, to try to change that to, uh, to, uh, um, you know, too abruptly, uh, you know, would, would probably, you know, work against, um, the whole idea here. So what I try to do is I, I, I try to uh, do a lot of add-ons, uh, you know, judiciously without, uh, you know, because, you know, it, it could be a little bit of a shock to have somebody come in and just start running roughshod over you uh, as a veteran. Uh, you know, look, I had the same thing with Diego Corrales. You know, Diego had certain methods and ideas and training, uh, uh, you know, the way he trained. And, again, I, I didn't try to hit him over the head with a sledgehammer. So, what I've done here is basically I, I've been very encouraging, uh, you know, a lot of minutia, no overall big picture change here, uh, more addressing the game plan and what needs to be done in the game plan, and then get in that condition to be able to pull it off. That's really the key. The kid knows how to fight. You know, if, if, if I see certain deficiencies in his defense, let's say, I'm going to point them out. But to try to, you know, characterize this as an, uh, as an overhaul 
of his style, I, I wouldn't go that far. I, w- I would just say I would add, you know, my, you know, polishing touches to him. And uh, more importantly, as I said earlier, to, to really address the game plan and, and, and uh, try to seize on the faults of our opponent. When you look at where Chavez, he can fluctuate in weight. Now, I know this fight is a light heavyweight fight. Uh, you know, at some point in the last year, Chavez even said he thought he could make 160 again. Everybody thought that was ridiculous. I, I would assume he might be looking at campaigning at 68 for big fights. How do you see where he fits in weight-wise and all that? Well, that's a great question. I, I um, You know, you have to remember, Julio's been out uh, for at least um, over a year now. And, uh, he, he, you know, when you're out that long, you put on some solid weight. And solid weight, you know, takes a little bit more time to get off. It's If you're fighting regularly and you balloon up, it's usually a lot of water weight in between fights uh, with, with, some, with some solid weight. But, you know, when you're out for a year, uh, it's solid weight. So, you know, this, uh, this isn't exactly a 175-pound fight. It's not a light heavyweight fight. It's a, it's a catch weight at 172. So we're, we're heading down towards 168. I think that's reasonable to assume that 68 is probably going to be the weight that um, we'll, we'll see him at next fight. As far as 160, if you keep training and keep fighting, those things aren't out of the question, but he is a big kid. I mean, i, I got to tell you, he's put together. You know, I played a little football in, in high school and college, and he, he reminds me the build of every middle linebacker I ever, you know, I ever played with. He's got those sloping shoulders, huge biceps. He's got big thighs. Um, you know, he's, 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 a, he's a solid guy. So, you know, he's, he's approaching 30 years old, and, you know, your body changes from 26 to, to 30, 27 to 30. And uh, it, it might be a little bit of a stretch right now to look at 160, but somewhere down the road, if he continues to fight and stays in the gym and, uh, uh, you know, attacks this with, with a lot of dedication, I don't think it's out of the question. But I think realistically, from this fight to the next fight, probably this fight at 72, next fight at 68, and then we'll take it from there. But it's, I, I don't know if it's entirely out of the question. Uh, so, Joe, um, his previous fights above uh, middleweight, above 160 pounds, came against Brian Vera, who's done campaigned most of his career as a middleweight. This is his first time fighting, right. you know, uh, Fanfara, who's been a, a light heavyweight. Um, that how is that size difference in in opponent? Uh, how do you think he's going to face that? And uh, what do you think of Fanfara as an opponent in general? Well, I, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I think Fanfara is is very uh, very capable fighter. He's always in great shape. He'll probably be in the best shape of his entire life coming into this fight because there's so much on the line. Um, he's he's uh, very fundamentally sound. Is he uh, athletically gifted where he's you know got these tremendous angles and moves? No, but he's he's a very workmanlike guy, and he'll bring a lot to the table. Um, they're they're always difficult fights. On the other hand, you know I think Julio is very athletic. Um, he's, he's not, he, listen, when you, when I stand next to Julio, he's a big, tall kid. He's mm-hmm. not short at all. Fonfora may have an inch or so on him, but you know, Fonfora did campaign, uh, you know, earlier in his career, uh, if I'm not mistaken, as a welterweight as well, and then moved up into the, the, uh, 75 pound right. division. So he has not always been a, you know, a guy that, you know, moved down from 90 to 75. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that moved up. So, you know, he's, he's thinner and taller, 
But Julio is not by any means uh, short. He's you know he he's probably six one himself uh, because I am, and and he looks a little bit taller than me to tell you the truth. But he's he's so gifted athletically, um, and he's proven that in this camp. And um, I, look, I just think that size difference is. You know, you may look at the two in the ring and go, wow, Chavez looks massive next to this guy in terms of, uh, uh, you know, the shoulders and uh, the arms, right. including the thighs. So I think Fonfour is probably a little bit taller, but a little bit more, uh, a little bit more thin. But uh, I can make a good case that Julio is going to look in shape at 72. Right. Oh. So uh, and and again, he he's he's a big kid. He's got a big head too. He's he's hard to hurt. <laughs> that is, you know, that he, is we've he, seen that a bunch of times already. Um, yeah, you, you might uh-huh. have the best beard in the business, Joe. Come on, the best. Exactly. Chin. Well, he, his father had a great beard of too. Course. You know, and uh, but again, he's got that massive skull. He's you know he he and I'm telling you, it's it, it almost look, it looks Tex Cobb esque. <laughs> uh, I wanted to follow up uh, about the sort of the athletic gifts you're talking about with Chavez Jr. because that hasn't always been his reputation. You know, his, his in the ring, it's often people talk about his size, especially at middleweight, um, and maybe it's because he he hasn't in every fight been in the same kind of condition. But at at you know peak Chavez, what are these? What is sort of the athleticism that you're seeing that really impresses you? Well, I got to tell you, number one, you know, look, he does a few things that you know you you know where he'll He'll let his hands hang a little bit. He'll do a nice slip mm-hmm. and counter. Um, you know, he'll slip and hit the body. He'll turn on you. He can box, as we saw in the verified heat, where he decided to box a little bit. He looked very sharp. Um, uh, you know, well, let's just put it this way. He looks. He showed signs of it there. He's really stepped up his game with his athleticism. He's got great legs. Uh, he moves in and out very quickly. Um, and uh, really just can move around the ring a lot better than I had really anticipated. So, um, you know, when I say athletic, he's just, um, he's quick. He's cat-like when he's in shape. Um, and, and um, you know, he's just, he can move around that ring and pop you and sneak stuff in on you because he's quick-handed, too, mm-hmm. when he wants to be. So, you know, again, it's not like he's holding his hands up high next to his face. You know, it's kind of loosey goosey, where he's uh, a little bit more fluid with his actions, and uh, it really impressed me in this camp. So, you know, uh, that was one of the surprises. So we've, we've, uh, we've. I don't want to say that we've concentrated solely on that, but we've certainly worked on that. Switching gears for a second, Joe. So much we want to get into with you. We've referenced before you're a boxing fashion pioneer. I mean, let's talk it. You know, let's talk denim. Let's talk Canadian tuxedos. Here's my question. I've always looked at you like the the Connie Mack, you know, from baseball and boxing. He wasn't going to wear the the tight outfit. He was going to wear the suit. You, on the other hand, you're not going to wear the jumpsuit with the jacket. You're going to dress up like you're going out to the club. How did this sort of demeanor grow in you in, in this character? That's funny you ask that. Well, I, I got to tell you. Uh, You know, years ago, I when I had Michael Dunn and Gabriel and Rafael Relis back in the in the eighties and nineties, you know, we we used to have these great corner outfits uh, made by a guy in in uh, Hollywood who who catered to the studios, and he used to put together some beautiful corner outfits, you know, with the jackets, and they were very stylized. And um, you know, there was a time where uh, you could put things, and you still do, on your corner outfits, and there would be quite a bit of money involved in sponsorship money. Mm. 
And, uh, you know, you get a cut of the purse, obviously, as a trainer. But I always felt that I was the walking billboard, you know. <laughs> and, you know, when a fighter takes off the robe, his advertising is gone. But it would still, you know, when they showed me in the corner, they still have the advertising on there. And I always said, well, where's my cut? <laughs> you know, and it never came. And I said, well, you know what? Uh, if that's the case, I'm going to I'm just going to please myself here. And I'm going to I'm going to uh, dress like I want to dress. And that's kind of it was a little bit selfish, uh, you know, at first. But, uh, you know, then eventually, you know, I feel comfortable in my own clothes, um, you know, and that's kind of evolved from there. And then when I started uh, working with Casamayor, I used to start wearing the, the throwback 70s shirts, which I used to wear when I worked in the nightclubs back in the 70s, which Whoa. I did for a number of years. What and, was your role um, there? I got to interrupt and you. People, what was your... started, people started complimenting me on it. And I wore it for a certain amount of time. And then I said, okay, I've worn that out. And people kept wanting me to wear those. And I said, no, you know, that's gone. And now I've gone to, the, like you call them, the Canadian tuxedos. And I try to... <laughs> You know, get a variety of those as many as I can, which I I have several dozen in my closet. <laughs> this is this is amazing. This is this conversation right here is a dream come true. Joe, you were working in the nightclubs. Tell me you were bouncing, not knocking fools out back in the day. Had to be right. No, actually, uh, uh, you know, I've got eight brothers um, and two sisters. There were ten of us, hmm. and uh, in seventy in seventy one after high school, back in those days. You could go into nightclubs at 18, 17 years old, and if you looked old enough and dressed well enough, and I did. And my brothers were bouncers over at a club in Glendale. And uh, so I started hanging out there in June of 71 when I graduated high school. And I ended up behind the bar as a bar back for the bartender. And uh, within a year, uh, they moved to a different club. It was really the top club in the San Fernando Valley called The Point After back then. And uh, at 18, I was bartending, you know. So, uh, but my brother Greg and my brother Pat, who fought professionally, my brother Greg played obviously for the Dodgers and Mets back in the day. And uh, they were the bouncers, and my brother Larry and I were bartenders. So, uh, yeah, no, I was a bartender, which I, you know, did I not get involved with a few uh, people being thrown out? Yes, I did. You know, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't watch my brothers get into a little scuffle without jumping over the bar. So, yeah. But that went on until uh, you know from seventy one to seventy six, and then I, I buckled down and got a real job. Well, let me segue real quick the fashion talk into the next topic. We want to hit you up. It's going to be the tenth year anniversary of the of the most iconic fight of this era, the Corrales Castillo epic war. But to close off the fashion talk, Joe, that shirt you wore in the corner that night is as memorable at times as really the fight i gotta ask you where does that shirt live today is it in the hall of fame because it should and have you ever worn it again <laughs> i've never worn it again it's a great question it's funny because what i normally do and, and most of my fighters know it the day before a fight um uh, after you know before or after weigh-ins i usually go shopping and try to pick out back and back then try to pick out something that was a little ostentatious or mm-hmm. whatever caught my eye and that particular shirt, I was almost going to give up and wear something else. And that shirt caught my eye, and I bought that uh, at Macy's, where I usually found my best shirts, believe it or not. <laughs> and um, that was the shirt I decided upon to wear that night uh, with Corrales Castillo. And it is now my wife um, has every shirt I've ever worn in those corners uh, sealed and put away. So... You know, one day maybe if uh, somebody wants it, uh, you know, and it, it ends up in the in the Hall of Fame. Well, hey, listen, I'd, I'd be glad glad to turn it over. But I I have I've never worn any of those shirts twice. Wow, amazing. 
Um, you know, I actually wanted to follow up there. Uh, just are you aware in that sort of in this internet era of uh, of boxing fandom that that you've almost sort of made this leap into a, a cult figure among some boxing fans where you know they're taking videos of your of you sort of giving the the, the a side-eyed glance to the to the cameraman getting too close to you in between rounds or you know when when <laughs> when you sort of brush off the the uh, the California official in the in in between rounds in the in the Molina Matisse fight uh, and just sort of the outfit it's sort of becoming a, a revered internet uh, badass of, of boxing. Uh, I mean, are, are you aware of that? Do people show you the videos? Uh, what, I, what do you think? You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, I really, I, I really don't go on the internet. Mm-hmm. So I, because you know what, you're going to be disappointed. You know, you might say, "Oh boy, I got a lot of fans." And then you're going to, you're going to hear it from the other side too. Right. I'd rather not hear it from either side. To tell you the truth, you know, you're telling me I know you're not going to, you're not going to cut me the ribbons, but I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love to. So I, you know, who needs that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a texter and a caller, and that's where that's pretty much what I do. But yeah, no, I, I know people do personally come up to me at certain events and they'll say, Hey, you know, I really like this. And I've heard those things. I just, you know, I don't pay too much attention to them because, you know, then you might be too self-aware of all that stuff. I, I just kind of do what I do and whatever I do happen to, to pull off in the corner or otherwise it's all spur of the moment stuff without any thought, believe you me. So I don't know. I don't know if it's good or bad or if I got fans or not, but you know, I, I do hear it every so often, and you know, like you said, you're telling me now, but I really don't pay too much attention to that. Um, I don't know if I should pay more attention, but I, I, I don't. Then don't look Only at my vine account. I've seen so many people that get on that internet and they get so disturbed. I mean, fighters, I see them; they're they're obsessed with the internet and <laughs> people's comments. And then I see they they get depressed, they get mad. I go, man, I go, boy, you ought to just stay away from that then, if it's going <laughs> to affect you like that mentally. And I, you know, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> well, that's you. You you're training Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. One of the things that that happens to him on the internet is every time he posts a picture, uh, you get fans of Gennady. Golovkin start sent commenting on it saying GGG, 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 I guess because they want to see him fight him someday. But I, I wonder if that has ever right. uh, uh, disturbed him. Oh, well, no. Listen, I, I have talked to Julio. Not no, I, see, not, I did not know that. You know, I know every so often somebody will send me a picture that Julio posts, but I've never gone on his Instagram or Facebook. I've never been on an Instagram, Facebook, or whatever else is out there. Um, but people do send me stuff. And, you know, infrequently, uh, although, but I have to tell you, Julio and I have talked because he, 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 he's a very savvy boxing guy. Um, he's very good at picking apart people's styles and um, all sorts of things. And then he's also interested in his future about who he's going to fight. And then he tries to pick my brain, who I think he should fight. And uh, I know he has, dis- he has discussed, you know, Golovkin on several occasions. Um, what I, what I thought about that. He's also brought up Mayweather, as a matter of fact. Whoa! You know, um, Who, Roger so, or Floyd Senior? You know, <laughs> Who, Jeff Mayweather? Yeah, you talking Jeff yeah, Mayweather? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, listen. I, you know, you never know. People, you know, go up and wait to, you know, for all sorts of reasons. Usually monetary, you know, to make things happen, and and people go down and wait. So, you know, there's a lot of catchweight fights going on that never used to happen back in the day. They do now. 
It's a good point. It's a good point. Joe, I got one personal question I got to ask you here. I'm a shameless fan of Vanis Martirosa, and I just can't get enough of the guy. How did this fallout take place? I was all pumped for him to, for you to be in his corner for that Charlo fight. Disappointed that you guys, you know, broke apart. Is, were we going to yeah. see a reunion yeah. in the future? Listen, I, I have, I have no bone to pick with Vanis at all. Believe you me. Um, I, I appreciated so much his heartfelt, you know, um, uh, words for my brother after the Willie Nelson fight, which I thought he was just tremendous in that fight. We had a great camp. Um, I was really looking forward to getting the victory over Charlo. Uh, we were training hard for it. You know, the, the Chavez thing kind of popped up in the middle of it. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, I, I have a hard time really pinpointing, you know, any, you know, the, 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 the problem there, I hope certainly when I get back to L.A., I'm going to give Vonis a call and, uh, you know, see if uh, we can make, make things work again. You know, yeah, we got to make this work. I don't hold make... grudges, and I, you know, uh, I, you know, I really love what I do, and I love my fighters, and, uh, you know, you can always, you know, that water can always go under the bridge, and that's the way I am. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that give, you know, will give second and third chances, and hopefully people give me second and third chances. Well, so, I thought you, you, you know, in that we'll, Nelson fight. We'll see fight. what happens. I, I agree with you, though. I was, I was very, I, I do believe had I been in that corner, I think it would have been a, a different story that night. You know, all due, uh, due respect to everyone else that yeah, was you, out there. You would have but, told you know, him he better effing get inside on him. You would have told him that, you know? <laughs> Boy, you're one of the few people that actually has that quote down correctly. I've heard it. Oh, I watched, I watched it 15 ways. minutes ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, I knew the type of shape Diego was in for that fight. We we had so much sparring for that fight. I knew what we were in store for. I said at the press conference a few days before the fight, I said, you know, you're getting this on free TV. I was saying it to the, the press at the press conference and the people that were there. I said, this is really a pay-per-view fight. You guys just don't know it yet. I knew what was coming. I don't even know if Diego knew what was coming. But I can tell you I knew what was coming. And it's probably one of the top five camps I've ever, ever had in, wow. in my career. And, and uh, i got to tell you, Diego just – I knew that when he went down in the 10th round – you know, he went down ugly, but he, he got up strong. And that's what kept me confident in being able to keep, you know, encouraging him to get back uh, out there and to try to win this fight. Because I knew it wasn't over by the way he got up because of the training that we had put in. Right. You pulled the you know? right card, Joe. That was tough love, and you pulled the right card at the right time. Yeah, what is it about uh, the, the connection that you have between, uh, your, you know, yourself and your fighters that, that, that sort of allows you to... to, to tell them at that moment you know it happened with Corrales you've done it with John Molina in the past and and have them yeah. rally and respond like that what, what how does that develop I you know I I you know I, I haven't really analyzed that too much except I would probably say that I'm in the gym six days a week year-round I'm there for my fighters and they know it I know who they are I know which buttons to push with them because I know them so well if you get to know your fighter well and you're there for them all the time, they will give you their trust in the corner. So when you tell them to go out there and do something that may seem dangerous or may seem a little absurd uh, to everyone else, they believe in what you're telling them because you've shown them that you can be trusted with their life mm -hmm. and their career and their health. And 
I show them that by being there for them every day, six days a week. I just don't miss the gym. That's the that's the point. Amazing. Hey, Joe, this is a, this was a, a, an extreme pleasure for us. We're, we're, we're short on time, but please do us the favor and say you'll do this again sometime. Oh, I would love to, Brian and, and Rafe. I would love to, even though Bernie can't get your name right, Rafe. Uh, <laughs> I'll take whatever I can get. The great publicist to the stars. I, 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 I would love I would love to come back on and uh, share some more time with you, and maybe after this fight on the 18th, we can do that and uh, get a rundown on what uh, what happened. And uh, you know, so anytime you'd, you'd like to do it, just uh, have your buddy Bernie call me. <laughs> <laughs> Bernie Barmerzel, our man, the publicist of the stars. But you can see Joe Goosen, of course, in Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.'s corner Saturday, April 18th at the StubHub Center in Carson, California against Andrew Fonfara. Joe, thanks again and best of luck to you. We're looking forward to see how this combination plays out. Brian, Rafe, I appreciate it and God bless you guys and thank you for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Great. Thanks so much, Joe. Take care. Holy smokes, Brian. Uh, what would you give right now for a time machine to go back in the day and have Joe Goosen make you a white Russian? <laughs> I, 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 that, while that's a tempting offer, I'd rather take an MTV Cribs episode and check out the uh, the 12 Canadian tuxedos he's rocking in the closet there, along with the with the collection of all his famous uh, you know ringside shirts that he wore. What an amazing interview. What an amazing guy. Yeah, uh, you know, I can't wait. To t- I wanted to keep talking to him for about like three hours, uh, but I guess I guess that's not proper podcast etiquette. We'll try and get him back. Uh, hopefully, he'll hopefully Chavez will stay active. He'll uh, win or lose, he'll stay active, and he'll continue to work with Goosen, and we'll get more chances to talk with Goosen and uh, and go through more history, more fashion, and whatever. Uh, let me no ask doubt, you, but how is ahead. yeah? Let, let me ask you. Um, you know, what do you think working with Goosen for the first time is gonna do for Chavez? Do you think? Do you buy into to Chavez being uh, sort of showing us a new side of himself in this fight? You know, after hearing Goosen's comments and watching what I thought was an absolutely tremendous Showtime All Access show, which we, we can step on in a minute there, but uh, I really do believe it because. Look, Goosen's the right trainer. This is the the perfect marriage. This is the right time in his career to get a, a no nonsense trainer who's all about action, who was all about offense. Mm-hmm. And really, that's the that's when you're you know that's Chavez, that plays to Chavez's strength. When he's at his best, he's a straightforward body puncher with big size and that big chin who's just going to keep plodding forward and is going to you know is going to just put it on you. And if Goosen can put in some wrinkles, and I don't think Goosen would be this committed as you heard in that interview if he didn't believe that Chavez was equally committed. And I believe from his comments that we have a guy who was that committed and I think the reason why he's so committed and this played out so well in the all access episode is the changes in his life the mm-hmm. you know the, the daughter sort of the birth of his daughter sort of softening him sort of waking him up out of sort of that immature stage how do I live up to my father's name the pressure is too much what do I do? The only thing I can do is sort of rebel against that. I think he might even be over that now. And for the first time, we might find out how good this fighter can be because he's made sort of ridiculous leaps. I mean, if you go back and watch that Sebastian Zibik fight where he won the belt for mm-hmm. the first time, the body it was shots. so raw. It was all just no form body shots. And then he surprised us how he began to look with Freddie Roach. And then, of course, he took major steps back. I mean, the road yeah, to where right, we're going on. to Let on Saturday. Let me ask you, Brian. Let me ask yeah. you. So, so we're just talking no-nonsense, offensive style that Goosen brings. But what, what is Freddie Roach then? I mean, you know, uh, Chavez was with Freddie for several fights. What was it, five maybe? Or, they, they worked together for a pretty long time. And 
Chavez definitely improved under that. But then we saw in the run up to uh, to the the fight with Sergio Martinez, a great fight that, that well that became great in the twelfth round at least. Uh, but we saw that. He was, that that Chavez really wasn't committed in the way that that we expect a, a guy working with Freddie Roach at that level of of the sport to be. You think you think that it's that Goosen is he's going to be different for for Joe, or yeah, you think because, it's just that like his, he's sort of grown up with with things going on in his life? Well, a combination of both. I think Freddie was, was a you know a completely huge section of his career because it taught him real polish, real form, taught him how to box. I mean, we saw him in the moments of that Andy Lee fight, for example, also in the Manfredo title defense. Where I mean, he was a real boxer. Suddenly, there was real you polish really there. Gonna, you're really going to bring Manfredo into this? Oh, come on! I, I hear what you're saying, <laughs> but uh, I'm just talking about how he looked, the style, the polish, because. I don't think that has left him. I think his subsequent fall was obviously more of the fact that he just stopped. The pressure was too much. He just stopped caring. I don't think he lost that form in those performances. He just didn't have the stamina. He didn't have the, the care. I mean, Freddie was sort of allowing him just to walk around in the pink underwear and move the furniture away in the, in the living room, and they're going to train there. Freddie's a player's coach in that regard. I think Goosen is more no-nonsense, but I also think we wouldn't have been here without this maturity, without this getting to this level. And, Rafe, I think we saw a lot of the reasons why he got to this level on that All Access show. Did did you get a chance to see it with the? Yeah, I watched it. You know, I mean, it's, I, I, I always, I always love listening to Julio Cesar Chavez talk. Uh, you know, and do his his facial expressions. You know, he's the, one of the famous crazy eyes appearance on uh, <laughs> on Face Off with Max Kellerman back in the day. Uh, he's, uh, you know, he's he's just sort of got a, a goofy demeanor. And, and Joe Goosen was mentioning like his enormous head. There's a lot to <laughs> there's a lot to latch onto there. I think I think you took some more serious things away from it. But uh, I, I was look, just dude, checking out the dome. I was about ready to see if uh, Ugly Kid Joe could come out and do another co- <laughs> uh, cover of Cats in the Cradle for us because, dude, I mean, the, where we where he is at and the, I mean, what that all actually showed us how honest they were able to get junior and senior to talk about their relationship. It was almost like watching a therapy session. I thought it was amazing that they flew in senior, that they were able to get get them to just release all of that. And I think it amplified that junior is sort of past the point of care now of the pressure that comes with defending that name. You know, there was just, I think he's, he's exercised his own demons. I mean, he's been away a while. It's not just the 13 months since his fight with Vera in the rematch. Those two fights, you know, sort of was just like a step backward for him. He's been out of, he's really been out of being in a big fight now for what like three years i mean it's yeah. been a while i think this was that 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 clouded you know lost weekend away where he was able to find himself and before this he was like a combination of like tommy boy and billy madison right like you know <laughs> it's like and it wasn't in both of those movies it wasn't until the pressure of sort of filling his father's shoes is what really woke him up and i think in this case the, the parallel is a little bit different but i think it's the lack of pressure now he doesn't feel like he has to live up and be the senior all over again i think he finally is in a point now where he can be himself and find out how good he can be as a completely different fighter than his dad which was echoed in that show and i'm kind of excited about who he can be moving forward i don't have visions of grandeur that he's some boxer he isn't but i think if he can put the package together what has what needs to be there for him to be successful is already in him right. meaning the chin you know the 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 toughness all of those things i think now he's just got to activate the will and i think this guy could be can be a fun player in a lot of big fights all right but Chavez's biggest advantage so far in his career, is mostly at middleweight, has been his size, right? He would come, he'd somehow, Alex Ariza would, would shrink him down to 160 pounds overnight. And then the next Legally, day... Legally, by the way. Yeah, Legally. Always, always, always. Everything's above board, man. Um, and... Uh, 
you know, then the next day he would they, remember before the Martinez fight, he wouldn't even step on the scale for 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 HBO on fight night because he looked like he looked enormous <laughs> in that ring. He looked like he weighed like 195 pounds as a middleweight. And and he took he took Martinez's best shots like he weighed that much and had, the, you know, that incredible Chavez chin. That might have been his greatest skill, by the way, the ability to put on 50 pounds in 24 yeah, that, hours. Like that's the- what I'm saying. So size is, you know, size advantage has been sort of the biggest advantage for him in his career in a lot of ways and now he's going up to whatever you want to call it like mid light heavyweight super super middleweight 173 172 pounds fighting a guy Andy Fanfara uh, <laughs> from from Chicago uh, man I'm, I'm sorry I've butchered that I haven't been in, Sh- in shy for a long time uh, he's fighting Fanfara um who has been fighting at 175 pounds for a while, has gone the distance with big punchers like Adonis Stevenson, knocked Stevenson down in that fight. That was probably more of a fatigue thing on Stevenson's part, but whatever. He, he put him on the canvas. And he's not going to be as big. He, I, I bet he does still look bigger than Fanfara because that's how big <laughs> Chavez is. Uh, and Goosen also predicted that when we talked to him. But, you know, the si- if, if re- removed of that enormous size advantage, is he going to be as, as good? Is he going to be as successful? Well, Sandy Brofax, this is the big curveball in this equation of like the get well, great story, come back, Chavez, be as good as you thought you could be. The fact that this is actually a really dangerous fight. I mean, it was echoed by Joe Goosen, who who came on after this fight was already agreed to. So he had no way to sort of turn him away. Chavez Sr. has been in the media saying he didn't want this fight for him. This is Junior sort of stepping up and wanting to prove something to people. This is the kind of fight where he's going to have to really prove a lot. I mean, he's coming up in weight against an established light heavyweight, an established tough guy here. Catch weight, yes. But, you know, we know Fonfara has fought at 68 in the past. I don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be that much of a, of a reach for him. The best thing that that Fonfara is, is is he's tough, obviously, but he's also an underrated boxer, I think. Because sure. it, you saw that in the Stevenson fight. How he never buckled when Stevenson was putting it on him early. How he stuck to his game plan, which was really to box. And, to, and he was brick by brick, moment by moment, never falling off and just staying in there, whether he was getting popped or not. And eventually he got to Stevenson by staying with that. Proved his toughness, proved that he can put some punches together. Not the biggest puncher in the world, but can get you out of there if you, if you get into trouble. This is a much harder fight than I think you know. a lot of people realize. This was a spot where you may have been able to get away with a get-well fight, and it's not. And that's why I think we are going to be looking at a sneaky, sneaky fight of the year contender action fight. Everyone's talking about Provodnikov Matisse for good reason. But I think this fight is going to be a lot more sneaky because you have two guys who are so tough that don't take a step backwards. And this fight means so much to where Chavez is going. And he appears to be so dialed in and wants it so bad that Rafe, like, this is going to be, you know, two worlds collide, rival nations. I, you know, that uh, for all we know, Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. could be dialed into In-N-Out Burger ordering, you know, oh, you tonight's food and tonight's dinner. You never know. You never know. You know, next week we're going to get the DUI news. You know how it goes in boxing. But you know what? You brought up, you brought up just the most exciting thing in the world right now to me. Ruslan Provodnikov, Siberian Rocky, and Lucas the Machine Matisse. Fighting junior welterweights, real 140-pound junior welterweights, fighting on Saturday night on HBO from the Turning Stone Casino in in upstate New York, Verona, New York. My God, this fight oh. is unbelievable. Uh, before we start just, just, you know, fainting in pleasure, let me try and explain a little bit, if there are any casual fans out there, who these guys are, a little bit of their incredible backstories. Just two of the, the greatest characters in boxing, on top of being great punchers, great fighters. Uh, 
Ruslan. I mean, what's not to love about this guy? He's from the, his name is a Siberian Rocky or nickname at least, and he he's he 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 looks and acts the part. I mean, he is one. Of, he looks like the 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 killer in a in whatever movie. He's got these those like cold dead eyes that pale pale complexion he's from uh, the mansi indigenous group in siberia in russia and has you know has this story about he was toughened growing up by eating raw fish and moose and liver the, well the best backstory on him is whenever people ask him who would you be if you weren't a boxer he's like one of the most honest quotes ever i mean he just gives it to you with that straight almost serial killer look to his on his eyes it's a, it's crazy and he said if i he's told me you know many times if i wasn't a boxer you know i would be dead or in jail because my friends and i used to be up to no good we used to sniff glue I mean, this guy's just like, like he had a crazy background, you know, living out in the middle of nowhere, which is kind of a good parallel because this fight's taking place, by the way, absolutely in the middle of nowhere. It doesn't even make sense why it's there. Well, there's all sorts of rumors of the old venue squatting, uh, which we we can't confirm or deny, um, (laughs) but it it is – Strange that 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 fight went up there, but you know what? One thing I like about it being in Verona is that that is where you know just the, the, another favorite of of every big boxing fan, Gennady Golovkin, the the the, the middleweight titleist, uh, should be champion. Uh, you know that's where he fought his U.S. debut and looked spectacular. So With I don't you mind at ringside, having this one way. go up there. I was I was one of the, like four people ringside for that. My our our guy Mannix from SI was there. A few other people. It was it was a, it was a pretty special moment. You know me. that that uh, lineage of old time NFL writers who have been to every Super Bowl. And mm, there's like a club, and it gets it lowers down to one or two, you know, at the end. That there's a club of guys that have yeah, covered yeah. all of Golovkin's American fights. I think you might be part of that club. I'm not. Right? I haven't. Uh, I haven't been to the. I missed the Gale the Gale one last year, uh, so I'm you already blew, out of the game. It. I'm out of the game. But yo, yo, before, let, let's get back to this. So that's Provodnikov. He's fighting Lucas Matisse. Uh, some of the the most badass tattoos uh, in boxing, and that's a pretty a tough. That's a dude. tall order, man. Uh, definitely, and he's, it's gone now. But he had the best rat tail in boxing bar none. I mean, it, it was like channeling all of the juice from Costa Zoo's rat tail and <laughs> adding in as many other rat tails as you can and just, oh, it was sprinkling I mean, in jail tags. You know, and, and, and Matisse is just a mean guy. Not, I mean, he's probably a very nice guy, but in the ring, he's a mean ass fighter. He will, he just, you, t- you could tell he loves it when he hurts people. And man, that's what's going to be kind of amazing about this fight. These are two of the best brawlers at the weight, at, at any weight in the sport. And, they, and they're fighting this weekend, man. Dude, these guys are all about that base. No treble. <laughs> and that's what, I mean, I mean, don't compare him to that girl, man. No. I mean, dude, this is just going to be so good. I mean, like, don't wear white if you're going to be in the crowd. It's going to be like those old, you know, my friend Ray Flores and I, VSP in Chicago, loves that joke about it's going to be like a Gallagher comedy gonna, show. You know, the first thing I thought of was Gallagher, man. You're going to have to bring ponchos and garbage bags. It's going to be one of those one of those crazy nights. And I, and I got to tell you really quick, I actually think this one's going to live up to expectations. Yeah. And I actually think it's going to do it in the right way. It's going to do it organically. Because I think at certain times there's so much pressure for fights that are, that have action potential to live up to it because everybody wants to see another Gotti Ward. You know, we drool for that so badly. And I think in the, even though the Rios-Alvarado two fights were, were very good, and they go down in the lineage of great action fights, I felt the first one almost had an artificial, contrived feeling to it. All in the buildup, Rios and Alvarado saying, we want to be the next Corrales-Castillo. Everyone saying, you got to tune in, this is going to be the next Corrales-Castillo. And even though it was fun their first fight, it was more like two trains just colliding 
and then eventually one fell down. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of character. There wasn't a lot of emotion. You know, Gotti Ward won. As much as we love it, it's my favorite fight ever. That fight took four rounds to really get, you know, to start to heat up. There had to be moments to take each guy out of their game plan to box. It wasn't just animal all the way. And what you had was a much fight with much more character, a fight that much people love and and, and that's so much more endearing. I think this one's going to be the same way. Yeah, and as as, as big a punchers as these guys are, as much as they mix it up and knock guys out, you know, there is an there is enough of a, a difference in styles to make this an interesting fight, right? I mean, Matisse has a little bit more, uh, has shown a little bit more boxing ability, a little more versatility. He'll set up his big punches. He'll move a little bit more. Exactly. Uh, you know, Ruslan is more of the straightforward, you know, just plow through pressure fighter uh, and, and just those rip people with those vicious left hooks. Uh, and so, you know, there, it, there's going to be some things to figure out in the ring. Um, and it's just, I, you know, I, I love the way that this is setting up sort of to be, it's been sort of overlooked because everyone, all the attention is on May 2nd and, and Manny and Floyd. And it's being fought in this very small, a pretty small venue for a fight that could be this great up in five hours from New York City in upstate New York at, at Turning Stone Casino. And so there are all these reasons that it's not getting quite, it's sort of bubbling under the surface a little. And I think that that's sort of a perfect setting for, for something special to just break out of that. I think you're absolutely right. I think like Matisse, it's, he's going to, even though he's a badass, he loves getting rights, he's going to need and want to, to box in this. You know, just because I don't think he can just enter right into a war, but I don't think he's the same fighter as like a Chris Algeria or a Timothy Bradley right. <laughs> who are able to, no, for long, st- for long stretches, endure and still put out the boxing to sort of preserve themselves and get a break. I don't think he can box on that level. I don't think he's going to have that moment to break. It's going to come down to staring across a guy who, like I always love to say, isn't trying to get your title, isn't trying to get your name. He's trying to steal your soul. Well, that's and the I- famous, that's the famous Ruslan tweet, my favorite thing, right? Well, when, when Bradley was, was losing to, was be, I'm sorry, when Bradley was beating Marquez, right? He's like, you're, he's not fighting Bradley the right way. You have to defeat him morally. You know, which, I mean, who knows who tweeted that for Ruslan? I mean, hopefully he said it to someone. But man, that, I mean, like, that, like he's out there to just break. He's, he comes out with the Drago line. I will break you. Well, he's still mad, by the way, at the way Algeri, like, ran. ran. You no, know, in, in his mind, that's running. That's not taking up the true spirit of boxing which is you know stand and who can find you know who can be the bigger man I mean that's really what he fights for he doesn't fight for the glory or the money or the titles when you really listen to his interviews he fights for beating a guy's character to you know to to overcome a man's will I had a very interesting talk with him when I interviewed him last week Rafe and this is what fueling me to believe even more that he's just going to be a more amped up relentless version of him than we've ever seen because of what's at stake for him I told him you know you're 31 you've lost two of your last four you know what does this fight mean to you he said through his Translator and manager Vadim Kormalov, he said, the way I look at it, this fight is the deciding factor about my entire future career and whether I go on to the biggest fights out there or maybe this is it. And, you know, my natural Mm -hmm. follow-up is... What does this is it mean? What do you mean by that? And he said, I don't want to be just another opponent. I don't want to become another fighter that tests young prospects. I want to fight the best in the division. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing this. That's basically my elaboration. And normally fighters give you that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, whatever. You know, this is the best training camp ever, whatever. I, I believe him. I believe oh, yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, he has that way of never, you know, when, when he talks, he's just like 100%. But, like, th- th- I, that would be a shame. I don't, I don't, I mean, I, you know, he could lose this fight, and I want him to continue his career because these two are really, really top shelf 140 pound fighters and it and it's crazy that that i mean it's it's admirable but also crazy to think that he would take a loss as something like oh i'm gonna walk away after this 
for losing to Lucas Matisse, who's a good, good, tough fighter who could win this fight. Uh, and while guys like, you know, Danny Garcia and Lamont Peterson are, are sort of fighting to to semi wins for either guy and being like, I'm, a, I'm whatever comes next. I got this, you know, like all that bluster. Like, I appreciate where Ruslan's coming from, but I, I also hope that there's a there's a element, there's a little smidgen of a, of, of <laughs> a, a window of doubt there because he, he should be. You know, as long as he wants to fight, um, he's he's going to be a really really good fighter who who belongs in the ring and will will be great for fans to watch. So I hope he's not totally one hundred percent true. Uh, let's let's put a few minutes into our boy Lucas Matisse, who a couple years ago after he knocked out Lamont Peterson had the the famous Swedish Swiss Swiss he's Swiss sorry my bad Richard Richard Schaefer <laughs> the famous Swiss promoter Richard Schaefer uttering these classic words after Matisse's knockout of Lamont Peterson. Congratulations to you. Let me say first something. We have, we have a new Manny Pacquiao. He's from Argentina and his name is Lucas the Machine. Matisse! Man, so as much as I would have loved for, for that to happen, uh, it hasn't quite played out that way. First of all, that's the best. That's still my favorite soundbite ever. That's totally your wow. drunk uncle at the wedding, you know, who interrupts the best man <laughs> speech and just slobbers over and brings up that awkward time when you, you know, on vacation with the. Uh, no, I'll leave it there. But uh, yeah, it never played out that way, unfortunately. And I think there's enough in Matisse's recent history to sort of make you question, like, like I think we clearly bit off more than he could chew in the fact that after he knocked out Lamont Peterson in 2013, entering into that Danny Garcia fight, we wanted them to fight Mayweather. We thought, you know, there were giant things ahead. We really thought maybe he was, you know, as Richie, Richie Swiss, Swiss Beats said, the next Manny Pacquiao. Now I think there's enough to make you question, is he actually fading and on the other side of his career? And maybe was he ever as good as we thought? Because, Rafe, when I look at how this fight's going to play out, yeah, I know Matisse is the better boxer, of course, than Provodnikov by far. I mean, let's not forget that Matisse basically, you know, did his best to outbox both Devin Alexander and Zab Judah years ago, although he lost, you know, controversial decisions in both. But he went down twice against John Molina. And that's not really, you know, disrespectful. Molina can punch. But it, he took some damage there. Sure. That's that's not giving me huge confidence that I see him turn it up another notch and you know, and walk right through Provodnikov or, or circle and dance around him. I don't really know if I can see either one playing out. Uh, those I was at that John Molina fight uh, last year in Carson. Those were huge right hands that 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 dropped him, uh, and it was impressive the way that he was getting back up and getting right back into the fight, and 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 kept bringing the fight to Molina, and eventually put a really really bad beating on him. Uh, but he did go down, so that people are going to question him. That look, we got to keep it moving real quick. Uh, there's one more important, maybe less uh, you know uh, Pavlovian salivating fight uh, for fans this weekend, but still important on HBO. From where is it in Texas? He uh, Arlington. Arlington Ar- oh, Texas. great! Arlington, Texas. One of my favorite towns. Um, but uh, on HBO Saturday night uh, from Arlington, Texas, uh, Terrence Crawford moving up to 140 pounds to fight Thomas Delorme. Um, you know, uh, is vacant this- title. Vacant oh for a vacant title, great. Hey, you know why not? Hey, another trinket. Hey, Throw it hey. on the waist there. Woo. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, how do you see this fight? Is it, does it is it is it kind of hard to get up for it with uh, the other stuff going on this weekend? Yeah, it is. It's this one's getting lost in the shuffle. I just don't think you know. It's obviously not as sexy, but I also think we're going to see a one-sided fight here in a lot of ways. I mean, this is Crawford going up to 140. We'd seen him in the past in 2013 against Brightest Prescott. He looked fantastic. 
I think that this is just an opportunity for him to really showcase how good he is. He's a quiet guy. I know he was the fighter of the year last year, ESPN.com, a lot of other places. But he's a quiet guy. He doesn't get, I don't think, really the pound-for-pound respect that maybe he's starting he's, to, to you know, feel he's like He's only he been on the scene for a few years. I think he, should, he, he will, if he keeps fighting the way he's been fighting, he'll get there. He's, he's, yeah. His eye test, man, he's got the goods. You know, he's, he's, he's not been in the game for 10 years making rap tunes, you know, ever since... <laughs> Honey, yeah. you know, we're in Sassoon. Sassoon. I mean, I but he's going to have his day. I think this is going to be another step in that journey. Look, he can box and be slick and win a fight from a boring style from the outside where he doesn't have to put himself in any bad positions. And I think he's going to be able to do that against Delorme types almost in his sleep. So for me, there's not as much excitement in this fight, especially with the two other fights around it on the same night. But, Rafe... Delorme, we know, can still do some things. He can punch, but I got a question for you. You know, he dumped Robert Garcia, who he had in his corner for the last fight. He definitely didn't look good for at least half of that Lundy fight. Do you have any sort of misgivings that this guy might not be who we kind of thought he was as well? Well, I think that's probably why uh, Top Rank matched him with Terrence Crawford for Crawford's first fight at uh, junior welterweight. Um, The one thing I'm interested about this fight that I'm going to be watching for is will Terrence Crawford hurt Delorme? We've seen him. He's he's a little bit chinny. It seemed like Lundy even hurt him a little bit late in their fight uh, that, that Delorme won. Uh, and, of course, he got knocked out kind of and, and looked on very, very weak legs uh, against uh, Abregu uh, a few years ago, I remember, on an HBO undercard. Um, so, At the Turning Stone Resort in Verona. You know, another great night. Wow. It all goes back um, to that. But, yo, so... It's uh, I want to see, and, and Crawford for all of his boxing ability, for all of his quickness and 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 composure in the ring, and all the impressive things that he's shown, all the physical tools, he hasn't impressed me with his power. I know he had the knockdowns and the knockout against Yuriorkis Gamboa, but. Gamboa was small, he'd always been chinny, and he was fighting way above what, what I think his natural weight was. Um, Delorme has, has been a little chinny in his career, but he's a full-blown 140-pounder. So I'm going to be watching to see if Crawford has carried any power to 140 pounds because he didn't seem to be a huge puncher even at lightweight when he was champion there. That's Crawford. Agreed. And I also think if you're a Delorme fan, this is the fight where you find out for real which direction he's officially going because I don't I think he's just a six round fighter I think he looks fantastic in stretches but he doesn't give you that over the full fight and if he just gets you know jobbed essentially in this fight I think he's going in that other direction he's not the next Trinidad like a lot of people wanted to believe although he can punch and do some things he has a lot of questions to answer in this one too and I think it's gonna be very tough for him all right home stretch my man let's do some predictions well, we'll start in the in the uh, Andy Flamfera fight oh, against Chavez. Man, you nailed there. it! You nailed it. My prediction is an absolute war. I think it goes the distance, and I think Chavez not only excites, I think he wins, and I think he's going to have a way where he's going to both look vulnerable and good at the same time. But our final thing we pull from that is. You know, he look, he he did what he had to do. He came over the top. He was tough. He persevered. I think it's going to be a win, and he's going to get a good grade coming out of that. I think it's going to be a fairly even fight. I think Chavez will win because he is the enormous, enormous, enormous house fighter with a huge name against a guy who is not fighting in Chicago uh, and uh, is is unlikely to be favored. I think it'll be a close fight. Uh, probably could call it either way uh, if you were objective, but uh, this is going to this Chavez is winning this by decision. What do you think Goosen wears in the corner? 
double denim. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, like fate and hopefully distressed. Maybe got some tears in it. You know, I want him to. I want him to start experimenting with his denim. I think after his conversation with us, he's going to come out with something special. Oh, I man, think it's going to be something uh, we've if, never if seen. If we could have that influence on the boxing world, I would just. Uh, you know, that's what that's what it's all about, man. That's what really. That's what. That's why we do these things. Um, it's only the beginning. All right, keep it moving. Uh, Oh, the the Ruslan Provodnikov and Lucas Matisse, the 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 wet dream of all boxing fans. What's going to happen here? Uh, you know, I've established that I, you know Matisse is the better boxer. I think he can win rounds early on while still throwing in the kind of punches that that give Provodnikov enough pause where he's not going to walk through him early in a Mike Alvarado type setting. Mm-hmm. But I think ultimately this comes down a lot more to chin and will. And I just think Provodnikov, although I'm really not high on him in the long run, I do think he's generally overrated in, in a lot of categories. I think, I he's think a this good guy, fight, you just got to match him right. Anyway, go right, ahead. Right. And I think this fight exposes the things he's really good at. Mm-hmm. And I think Matisse is going to get to a point where he's not going to have a choice. He's going to have to go to a war. We've seen Matisse, as good as he did coming back in that Molina fight, we've seen that he can be vulnerable, that you can hurt him. I think this is going to be one of those late cuts or multiple knockdown referee waves it off situations where Provodnikov's the last man standing. Wow. Wow. Interesting. So I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, I'm going the other way, man. Look, I, um, I know what you're saying. Like Matisse is, I think more vulnerable. I think he has a good chin, but not like Provodnikov's chin, which apparently is, is as, you know, hard as frozen moose liver or whatever, <laughs> you know, as hard as the, the, the frozen soil in, in Siberia. Well, you are you know. what you eat, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, Matisse can take a punch, but I think that, that he will be hurt in this fight and, and could go down. Um, but he keeps he's, he he recovers well. He's resilient, and I think he's the overall bigger puncher. And I do think that as great as Provodnikov's chin is, Lucas Matisse can hurt him. I think he can hurt anyone. I think he could, you know, I think he could hurt anyone in that division divisions above him. He's a big, big puncher, uh, and he's going to land. It's not hard to land punches against Ruslan. Um, he's a he's a brost face killer. We got to give him. I don't you know. think that he is. I, I, it would be a, I, I, I would even be surprised if Provodnikov goes down. But I, I, we've seen his face cut up against much Touch lighter punchers. You know, Algeria a little bit uh, and big time against uh, Tim Bradley. You know, I, I think it's going to end up on end on cuts and Ruslan is going to be pissed because he's like, I can keep going. I don't care if I'm le- losing a pint of blood every second. <laughs> you know, I've got this. Uh, but it, it, I think it's getting stopped on cuts and it'll be uh, Lucas Matisse by stoppage. Well, dude, it's going to be Bromageddon. But one factor here, if if he does lose in that way that you say and he takes he steps forward and he does the quote that he told me that he's going to step aside. You know where I hope he resurfaces? Where? BKB guy. No, no, no. I think he should go straight into Hollywood and be like just a, a frightening actor. Give me Ruslan Sotokaras in the BKB pit. I'm there. Ruslan will own him for sure. Um, all right, last fight, uh, Crawford Delorme. Uh, we sort of hinted at this. It seems like this is all set up for Crawford to look good and continue his career and uh, and and maybe set up a, a bigger fight later this year against a more talented opponent. I think he, get the, he can win this fight easily uh, by. And I don't want to say. I mean, easily is a tough turn, but I think he can pile up the rounds and, and get himself where he's not in any type of trouble. And I think he could get the winner of this Provodnikov Matisse fight. I think it's a very realistic fight. If it happens to be Matisse, I think it's that's a much more appealing fight. 
for sure. Although, if this fight is great with Ruslan with Matisse and Provodnikov, uh, we could see rematches, which I don't think anyone would have a problem with. As for Crawford, Delorme, um, I think Delorme might have some moments early, not where he actually hurts Crawford, but where you know he lands the same because he does have some. He has length and he has pretty quick hands, and he's a decent offensive fighter. But we know we've seen Crawford do this before. He, he adjusts so well. He remains composed. He's got a good beard, uh, a good chin, uh, and I think he'll take over the fight and win a decision. Uh, I'm with you on that all the way. I think the, the sky is, is the limit for Crawford. I think he's going to do big things at 140 even. He also isn't, he's on the side of the fence where he's not going to get the, the best guys at 140. So I think that's a, that's a part of it. Do you, well, oh, all right. I was about to get us out of here, but you really think he's not going to get the best guys again at 140? I, I, I think Matisse Boy. is as good as most guys at 140. I think I established that he's going maybe in the other direction. I'd love to see that fight against uh, against Matisse. I think it's a very tough fight for him. But I think politically, he's certainly in a spot where he doesn't have access to the best, the really the best guys. The big for. names, yeah. There's not going to be any Denny Garcia, not going to be any Lamont Peterson, and uh, who knows where Tim Bradley. Well, Tim Bradley, you know, I mean, they're sort of in the same neighborhood, although he'd have to go up for that. All right, well, that's going to be just about it for us, uh, Brian Great show! It's what what an exciting weekend of boxing! My God, I mean, uh, dude, this day, you know Matisse Provodnikov is that fight. Put the kids to bed early. Pull the shades down. Take the phone off the hook. <laughs> tell your tell your boys. What don't are you going to be me. doing while you watch that fight? <laughs> That's none of your business. But dude, uh, don't call me. You know uh, this is ah uh, this is going to be. This is why we lift them weights in the off season. This is why you watch all them crap fights for weekends like this. Well, I, I, before we get out of here, I want to thank uh, all the listeners for, for checking us out. Please subscribe to The Ropes on iTunes. Subscribe to the Grantland Sports Network. Subscribe to the Grantland Pop Culture Network, Hollywood Prospectus, all those great podcasts. Uh, we want to thank Joe Goosen for giving us an amazing, amazing interview this week. And thank uh, Joe Fuentes and David Jacoby for, for keeping the Grantland Network running. Uh, and uh, thank my man Brian for being here with me. It's going to be such a great week, and I want to play a special song for you, Brian. It's Manny Pacquiao's new hit, his new monster ballad. You know you're going to memorize it and sing it back to me on this on this podcast someday. It's La Labanaco Para Sa Filipino. Laging tinatanong sa aking isipan Bakit kailangang huskahan Ang iyong nararamdaman Ano ba ang tamang batayan Upang tayo'y pakinggan Dapat mataas ba Ang iyong pinagmulan Kahit nasasaktan ang aking sarili Pilit na itinatago At walang sinasabi Puso ko may nagturugo, yay di kita ng iba. Basta't ang mahalaga, bayan ko'y masaya. Lalaban ako sa mundo, dala ang pangalan mo. Pinoy ako, Pinoy tayo. Lalaban ako. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. 
or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.